This is our first session on Colossians 3, 12 to 14. And oh, how I love this text, especially what we're going to look at in this session, the words chosen, holy, loved. But let's read it. Put on then as God's chosen, holy, and loved, bowels of mercy, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which is a bond of completeness. I left out the word of there. Father, as we focus on chosen, holy, and loved, cause us to know and to feel what it is to be chosen, to know and to feel what it is to be holy, to know and to feel what it is to be loved by God. I ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. First, let's just take a note here. Put on is a repetition of what we saw earlier in verses 9 and 10. Don't lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So this put on here is used exactly the same word as we're seeing in verse 12. Put on the new self here, and here it is put on, and then lists five traits of that new self, bowels of mercy, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering. So that's where we're going to go. We'll talk about those and how they flow from these. But notice, the put-on can refer to our de facto reality new self created in Christ, or it can refer to the traits, the behaviors, the attitudes of that new self. And we'll talk about how that works in future sessions. But in this session, let's focus on the fact that he's telling us to put on these traits. But as he tells us, he identifies us in three staggeringly important ways. And I I assume what he means is, look, I want you to do this. I want you to be this kind of people, having mercy and kindness and loneliness and meekness, But I know you can't be that kind of person unless you know yourself. I am God's chosen one. I am God's holy one. I am God's loved one. That's what we have to know and feel, not just know intellectually, but kind of feel what the awesome privilege is to be chosen by God, holy and loved by God. And what's tragic is that there are so many people who've been taught to reject this doctrine of election, taught that it's unbiblical to think of oneself as chosen by God unconditionally before the foundation of the world. So let's linger on this for a moment. Because Paul assumes that knowing this 
will have a profound effect on making you merciful and kind and lowly and meek. It's just the opposite of what some people think. So, Ephesians 1, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined. So you've got holy, love, chosen, those three right there together. He predestined us for adoption to himself. So once he had chosen us, he gave us a destiny, and the destiny was adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What's the purpose of this election and this predestination? It is to the praise of the glory of his grace. And if you strip away this doctrine of election and predestination, you will strip away the glory of grace. Now, so many try to avoid this doctrine for reasons that are quite unbiblical by saying, oh, he, he didn't choose us unconditionally. He chose us because he foresaw our faith. And you got to realize when people say that, they mean ultimately self-determined faith. In other words, if this is going to keep God from having the decisive say in who belongs to him, then we have to say that faith that he foresees is ultimately self-determined. Because if he determines it, if he's the decisive cause at the moment of our conversion rather than us being the decisive cause, then it does no good for the argument they're trying to use, namely to escape from God's being the decisive chooser. But he is the decisive chooser, and he chooses us owing to nothing in ourselves. Here's Colossians 2.13. You were dead. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. Now, that's the historical outworking of election. He didn't foresee us making ourselves alive by faith. He foresaw himself doing what he chose to do, namely make us alive. Or here's the relationship between that and faith from Ephesians 2. When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This faith and salvation are not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone boast. We don't produce our own faith. Faith is a gift of God because he made us alive. So how does faith relate to election? Faith doesn't produce election by God's foreseeing it. Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed 
We could say chosen, elect, to eternal life, believed. Belief comes from being appointed to life. God appoints some to eternal life. God chooses, God elects or selects people for eternal life, owing to nothing in ourselves because we're dead before we believe, and believe, believing is a gift. So, what he wants us to do is, as we put on mercy, kindness, lowliness, meekness, he wants us to feel, do you realize, Christian, you didn't make yourself a Christian? God worked sovereignly in you when you were totally undeserving like the rest of mankind. He owes mankind nothing. We are all fallen and in rebellion against him. He could sweep away the whole of humanity and do us no wrong, and he chose you. It should stagger us into meekness, stagger us into lowliness, stagger us into long-suffering kindness and mercy. That's what the effect of election is supposed to be. And he chose us for holiness, and holiness here in Colossians 1, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body, the body of his flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless before, above reproach before him. That's future. But since God knows that's going to happen, he has set us apart for it. And that's what holy basically means, consecrated or set apart. So this doesn't mean perfect. This doesn't mean you're an ideal person. This means you have been chosen for end time perfection. And in the meantime, you are consecrated and set apart to pursue a holy life. And then comes loved, loved like that. A lot of people don't feel the force of this right here because they say, well, everybody's loved, right? God loves the world, which he does, John 3, 16, but he doesn't love everybody in the same way. What is this love right here? What is it? Here's a description of it in Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, now that's what every Christian should feel loved with, is the only place in the New Testament where that phrase, great love is used because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead. We didn't merit this love at all. In our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This love is the love that made us alive. That is not true of everybody. Yes, God loves the world, and there are many ways in which his love is manifest to the world, but this love is a life-giving love when we were dead and could do nothing to partner with him in making us alive. We didn't make ourselves alive. He made us alive, and he made us alive with a unique love, and he describes it like this in Ephesians 5. Husbands, Love your wives 
as Christ loved the church. Look, I'm a married man, and I hope that there is a righteous sense in which I love all women. I am not to hate anybody as a Christian. I am to love all men and all children and all women. But oh, how I love my wife appropriately in a distinct way. So it is with Christ and his bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loves his church in a unique way, and you are part of that church. So, before we turn here next time, I pray and I hope for myself and for you that you will walk forward and say, This is unbelievable, Lord. This is inexpressibly great. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm loved. How could I not put on then these things?